Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Me Athlete Radio. Athlete Radio. I, as usual, am Matt Frazier with, as usual, Doug Hay. Doug, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm actually on a snow day today. We got seven inches of snow. Even though we're just a couple days out from the first day of spring, we're still getting snow in D.C. <laughs> yeah, you guys have gotten a lot of snow this year, right? I know. Yeah, it's it, unheard of. I, I've been here, <laughs> what, six years, and we've never had a winter like this. Right. Does that then refute Global warming, the entire hypothesis, one bad oh, no. winter? <laughs> totally the opposite. Not for you, right? Oh, okay. Okay. I see. Well, let's not get into that then. <laughs> um, yeah, we've had, we've had, we had one good storm in Asheville, and that's been my, my biggest disappointment about the city so far is that there's no, there aren't, it doesn't feel like there are real winters here. We get, it gets cold and rainy, and one snowstorm of, in, in the two winters we've been here, it's been, three to six inches so not very much uh i was i used to be in bel-air which was north of dc got similar amounts of snow mm-hmm. so that's kind of a bummer i did get to go skiing though uh at the beginning of the year or no it was just a couple weeks ago where the, and the right. mountain was covered yeah it was kind of uh Wait, which was, which mountain did you go to it was called catalucci oh. resort uh it's apparently it's okay here i don't know it was it was comparable i thought to where i used to ski in western maryland Mm-hmm. Uh, the big difference was that the skiers here are really bad. Like I, I'm, <laughs> I'm not a great skier by any means, but I, I just have done it since I was a kid. So I, I mean, I'm always been okay at it. But I, just, I don't know. You just get used up skiing further up north to to people who who kind of just know how to ski. But there were like people just like going off into the trees and rolling down hills and just like <laughs> not wearing any of the proper stuff. It was just I guess people who who in the south don't get to go skiing much and they kind of all. Yeah. All made it out to this one day, but it was fine. The mountain was covered with snow, which is apparently pretty rare down here to have the actual yeah. mountain covered. I uh, I don't know if you know this, but you know I went to college in at Appalachian State in Boone, North Carolina, and I worked uh, for two winters as a ski instructor at one of the North Carolina mountains. Ah, um, I didn't know that. Which one? Sugar. Sugar. I've heard of that one. And uh, yeah, you could always tell the the ability of a skier you knew immediately that a skier was going to be no good when they showed up um in jeans to ski <laughs> right right yeah. yep good skiing so another no meat sport that you can do that's right yeah scott jurek i think well no I, maybe not i think the cross country skiing did you read his mm-hmm. book yeah i yep. think he mentioned cross country skiing yeah i think he competed in it for a while that's... yeah i think so seems like the most boring possible sport in the world to me but <laughs> That's just me. All right, so let's get down to business. Um, we have a great interview today. Recorded it last week or so with Rip Esselstyn, who is pretty famous in this plant-based space. He's the author of the Engine Two Diet. I guess kind of the originator, really, of the of the Engine Two Diet, and then the author of the book. And uh, now his new book, My Beef with Meat. And uh, Rip's going to tell his story as part of our interview. But but for those who just have never heard of him he it's the firehouse guy he you know he in austin texas was part of a fire fighting squad team i don't know and and um <laughs> some of the people were terribly unhealthy so so he got them on this challenge where they would be vegan i think for 28 days and uh 
Rip's dad, of course, is Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn, who is prominently featured in Forks Over Knives, um, wrote the book, I think it's called Preventing and, Rehe- Preventing and Reversing Heart Disease, I think, the one that uh, Bill Clinton kind of got onto for a little while. So very well-known guy and uh, influenced Rip highly. And as we find out, Rip used to be a pro triathlete, which is something I think not that many people really know about him. Um, just because he's kind of so well-known now as the, the firefighting guy. Um, so good interview. It was I really like this one a lot. And uh, Rip is someone who who is personally cool to me just because um, I didn't really know him that well or know really much about him. I had, I had heard of the Engine 2 stuff and knew what it was about, but I didn't hadn't read the books or anything. But then he uh, – when I told him, I, I don't know how we started emailing, but when I told him I was going to be in Austin for my book tour, he uh, invited me and Matt Resigno, who was on the tour with us then, to come to Whole Foods headquarters because Whole Foods is headquartered in Austin. I believe that's where the original one was, and they've kind of revamped it and moved it maybe even. Uh, but it's a humongous Whole Foods that has tons of cool stuff, and we got to go there up into their offices and do our little book talk, our little – presentation spiel thing to the whole foods people which was pretty cool during their launch break not not the not like the the checkout people but their their corporate people we got to talk to them so that was a really neat one of the highlights of the book tour of course and uh we got to and we were there like we didn't really know if rip was going to be cool or if he was going to be kind of like i don't know you know as successful as that has all been like now engine two if you go into whole foods engine two foods are all over whole foods and rip now actually works for them so we just didn't know if it was going to be like – if he was going to be like the, the cool guy that he seems like or if it was going to be like you know corporate guy too busy for, for anything. We just didn't know what to expect. And as we were sitting in his office talking to him, he got on the phone with somebody and he was like, yeah, are you coming to poker tonight or something? And then he hung up the phone and said, hey, you guys want to come play poker tonight? So we we did, and, and then there we were with Rip Esselton playing poker and like five <laughs> other guys, and it, it was just really fun. It was like he was just a total like – man's man kind of guy like exactly the the image he portrays and we talk about that in the interview too how the engine 2 is really geared towards men in many ways or at least at least more geared towards men than than most of the other vegan messages out there right so just a really fun thing then we arrange the interview and i'm going to be doing stuff on the engine 2 blog too an interview and a guest post so uh, look for that too probably shortly after this podcast comes out but um it was a good one, and I'm excited about it. I I thought it was good. Did you think so, Doug? Oh, yeah, I thought it was great. I thought he was really interesting, has a neat story, especially with the whole triathlon stuff. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I don't know. It was, I was, and this was a lot of fun. I was glad to get to talk to him. Yeah, one of my favorite things that came out of that book, actually, or out of the interview, was um, him saying that the Engine 2 recipes are, are, a lot of them are what he was eating when he was a pro triathlete. They're just, say, recipes that he that he used himself and then they kind of stuck with him. And then he published them in this book among, you know, a bunch of other recipes too, that he probably didn't use when he was an athlete. But, you know, I, I'm just, I think people are always eager to get their hands on a pro plant-based athletes, actual recipes. Like I remember when, when Scott Jurek's book came out, how excited I was to have these 20 recipes that I knew, you know, one of the best ultra runners in the world actually ate to, to fuel his runs and to recover. And it was just like, I don't know. You want to do exactly the same thing. And right. So I was excited about that, and then that actually got me to try because I, for some reason, I had assumed that the recipes were were like uh, Joel Furman, 
uh, eat to live recipes, no oil, very low salt, and they are. I mean, they are, they definitely are no oil. And I think Rip and and the whole Engine Two philosophy are are not even into smoothies. They don't like um, the you know drinking of calories because you can you can drink many more calories than you could chew and and digest. So, um, I, you know, I thought it was going to be too strict for my liking. But anyway, after we talked to him, I was like, wow, I'm gonna I'm gonna check out some of these recipes. So we made one last night. It was uh, we made it at like 8 p.m., which is really late for us. But it it took 10 minutes. It was a barbecue tempeh tacos, and it, you know we had like pineapple and cabbage and corn tortillas, and it was really good. And it took like 10 minutes to make. So I am now um, putting myself down as a as an Engine Two diet fan because cool. Yeah, so, I mean, I like I mentioned the the Joel Furman stuff before, and I. I am a fan of that too, but it's just it's just hard for me to to eat like that. I'm just not quite there yet with with not having any salt in my food, not ever adding any oil to it. It just I shouldn't say not any salt in the food. Not adding any salt to the food is is the correct thing to say. So it's just to me the engine two stuff is between the place where I currently am with food and the more extreme eat to live stuff. So for me it's like a, a very doable next step where you're you're still eating some stuff that that you know like some of the pastas and some salt like this food this recipe yesterday used almost a whole bottle of barbecue sauce which i can't imagine would ever show up in a joel Furman recipe (laughs) just because it's just too much like you know whatever's in your barbecue sauce the salt the the sugar right but like but other than that it was really good so it was very healthy i should say um so i don't know it's just it's just a, a workable doable thing and i would highly recommend that anyone listening to this check out Either my beef with meat or Engine Two Diet, the original one. Yeah, and both of those books uh, have the story in it, obviously, but they they are also full of recipes, right? Yeah, I think they're both like kind of like the first half or third are are the the story, and then the the second half or third is the recipes. Cool. Yeah, and we get into the in the in the interview we talk a little bit more about what's actually inside my beef with meat and how it's laid out and stuff like that. So. Yeah. Um, that was a good one. The only thing to mention before we get to it is the new community site, which we have been working very, very hard on. Um, we we put it out, actually opened the doors to it sometime last month. I guess it's probably been about three weeks now, maybe, and um, let people kind of trickle in there. You know, we first had people testing it, just people who kind of had filled out a survey, then opened it up to some past customers, and then I emailed the email list about it. I still haven't written the post on No Meat Athlete about it, but um, if by chance this podcast goes out before that, then then get in there and you can you'll be able to you know get a get a good screen name or something before the before the No Meat Athlete blog readers show up who aren't on the email list. Um, it's at community.nomeatathlete.com. There's also a link off the nomeatathlete.com homepage up in the navigation bar. And uh, in case you haven't checked it out yet, it is based on the forums. Like there's a discussion discussion boards, forums, whatever you want to call them, uh, for people to connect and it's you know get your questions answered. Not necessarily by us, but by just the other community members. Um, hopefully, share recipes, connect on a local level too, because there are also some some local. You know, we have forums devoted to certain cities in hopes that people will actually. Um, just you know, make friends, find a new plant-based athlete in their area, and maybe go hang out in in a sort of non-stalker way. I mean, I hope I hope there's no uh, not, no incidents happen. I mean, I don't really know, but <laughs> I hope to distance myself from that if they do. Um, 
And we'll have a member map, too, which is in the works, but it'll be a map that shows where you are. But just down to the zip, zip code region, or zip code, um, whatever the word is, level. So, so you won't put in your whole address, but just your zip code, so nobody's going to stalk you. Um, and then besides that, that's like the maybe the central point of it, but there's also a community blog, which is a new thing. Uh, Susan is running that, and Wendy, who we'll mention in a minute, is helping her out. And it's it's a blog that is for readers to share their stories. It's not so much about the teaching and the how-to and the five ways to do this. It's more about people to share their transformations and in some cases how they figured out something. Like one of the posts is about a woman who – how you know how she has learned to feed her kids on a plant-based diet. And that's kind of what we're going for. So if you're interested in being featured on there, by all means get in touch. You can email susan at nomeatathlete.com. And uh, just just suggest yourself, or go go check out the community site, get an account, totally free of course, and uh, and just start start participating in there and let somebody know that that you'd like to be featured and you have a good story. Um, on top of that, we have the new academy, which we have not really mentioned anywhere yet, except to the small group of people who were invited in because they had been no meat athlete customers in the past. Um, but look for that soon. I think next month we're going to open it up to everyone. And uh, it's it's the the I guess the most intensive kind of in depth most premium product I've I've put out yet, and it's it's totally not about me. It's about plant based athletes and experts, guests who you know we're interviewing and then doing Q and As and putting out the interviews. And it's kind of I mean, people listening to this I'm guessing are are podcast listeners in general and might say, well, what's the difference between that and a podcast? It's kind of a night and day difference. I mean, that's so much about teaching and we start each interview with an outline of like here's what we want to cover today and uh you know then we follow up with a Q&A with the guest a week later a live Q&A um then also I'll do a, I'll do a live Q&A each month also so lots of stuff I don't want to try to give a sales pitch or anything for that yet cuz it's not even available but just wanted to give you a heads up in case you were interested in uh in checking that out yeah i uh you know i think that nomad athletes been more than just a blog for a long time but having this community site and especially the academy um, really takes Nomad Athlete to the next level, and and it and because it connects everyone to a to a new degree, and people can really talk to each other and learn from each other and share their stories, and it's just it's going to be a neat thing, and I hope that hope that everyone participates and has a good time with it. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I think we've we've not maybe not necessarily by the job that we've done, but just just because of the sense of community that is inherent with people who identify themselves as both plant-based and athletes when you meet someone else like that or find other people like that online there is this innate connection so there's been a big community feel around no meat athlete for a while i think and the facebook page has 55,000 likes on it and you know there are a decent amount of blog comments for most posts but there's really been no way for for you know there's there's been plenty of ways for us to communicate with readers and listeners and for readers and listeners to communicate with us but there hasn't been that um I don't know what the word is, horizontal or or longitudinal or what. I'm, I'm sure I'm botching this word, but um, a way for readers to connect with each other, basically, just talk to each other rather than going through through the Facebook page or through the blog, just you know, direct one-on-one connection. So that's really cool. I am excited to see what that brings. And uh, the final thing we'll mention before we get to the interview is Wendy, who you probably remember or may remember Wendy Fry from the uh, she she did a 
post or she worked with me to make a post, not unlike what, what we're trying to now feature in the in the Nomiathic community site, um, to make you know about her transformation. And we just wanted to share it. It was a really great story. She had emailed me about all these great changes she had made and the success she had with her first marathon. So we put up a post about that. And if you want to read that, it's at nomeatathlete.com slash Wendy, uh, W-E-N-D-Y. And it's just it's just her good story, and it's what she did. And the post now is, is three or four years old, but it's always been a popular one. But anyway, Wendy and I have connected. She helped me out with some of the Philadelphia events because that's where she is now for the book tour. And uh, we've just been talking, and she has kind of joined the Nomeat Athlete team now as someone who is – in the forums, and while Susan's kind of overseeing the forums, Wendy is the the woman in the trenches, I guess you could say. And uh, she's also going to be doing a few Nomad Athlete uh, VegFest events, where she will be the the contact person for that. So, a new member of the team, which is exciting, and we're going to have her on the podcast soon. Not so much to talk about that stuff and like the what she's doing for us, but but just her her own story. She has a really great story of being someone who who was out of shape and really dissatisfied with her, her fitness and her progress towards goals and someone who really turned it all around when she went plant-based. So um, she's a really nice person, fun and uh, smart, good. I mean, you know, you'll see, you'll like her. So <laughs> she will be on the podcast soon. So look for that one. And uh, I think that is, is it. That's all the announcements. So with that, let's get to the Rip Esselson interview and I uh, hope you enjoy it. So how are you doing? Never been better, dude. <laughs> hey, don't mind me. I'm, I'm actually um, I'm behind on my eating and having a really late lunch right now. I'm eating a huge, probably no joke, three and a half pound bowl of that has sweet potato. It has um, barley. It has black beans. It has pinto beans. It has two different types of kale. It has seitan and um, and butternut squash. It is insane. Nice. I was Rip. I was gonna do like a little, uh, you know, give you the background, but we can just go right into the call and we'll leave that on there if you want, so that people know that you're legit. Yeah, let's do it, man. All right. Uh, so, Rip, thanks so much for being on here. We really appreciate it. We've wanted to get you on here for a long time, and uh, I appreciate you taking the time to to do this, even if it is during your late lunch. <laughs> yeah. So um, Engine 2 is obviously huge. I don't think I'm going to need to give much of an introduction for people. Uh, it was one of the very first resources I heard about when I first went vegetarian and started No Meat Athlete and started hearing about this book, Engine 2, which I had never heard of because I was so new to the diet then. Um, so to me, it's just it's just been like one of the first mainstream, uh, you know, one of the first mainstream wins for veganism or a plant-based diet. And... Um, just in case people haven't heard the story, can you give us the background with the firehouse and all that stuff? Yeah, I'd be happy to, Matt. Um, so I joined the fire department in September of 1997 after a, you know, almost 11-year career as a prof- professional triathlete, and I was at the time probably one out of a thousand firefighters that that ate um, a plant-strong diet. And I, you know, I tend to say the word plant-strong as opposed to vegan. Um, and we can get into that later if you want to. But um, sure. so I was one of a thousand. And then in 2003, we had um, we had basically a bet that led to a discovery that one of our own was basically a, um, a walking dead man. And so I <clears throat> sorry, that's a little bit. of. So we we basically um, 
I challenge these guys to, to go plant, <clears throat> plant strong for, for 28 days. And, um, it was absolutely mer- like, you know, miraculous. Um, these guys morphed themselves from medical, medical time bombs to healthy superheroes in a very, very short period of time. And, uh, and that's where this healthy eating revolution, uh, was really born and hatched was in the, in the most unlikely place imaginable on the planet, which is a fire station in Austin, Texas, the land of beef with a bunch of guys, right? <laughs> so, um, and that, that was really the, the spark that ignited, um, the book and everything that I've done today. So just taking a step back, when did you go plant-based and how did, uh, how did that start? So I, I went, I went plant-based back in 1987 and I did it for two reasons. Uh, first and foremost, because of my father's research, uh, going back to 1984 at the Cleveland Clinic, which is considered the number one heart hospital in the world. And he, in 1984, started his research to show that you could not only prevent, but also reverse the number one killer of, uh, of Americans, which is cardiovascular disease. And in that three year time period between 1984 and 1987, before I started, he was starting to gather uh, an amazing amount of information and data and uh, and reversal of of people who were considered the, the walking dead. Um, and so I got to hear all these stories and see the data. And uh, and so that was the number one thing that inspired me. And then the other the number two was I graduated from the University of Texas at Austin in ninth in December of 1986. Um and I, I swam there on a swam there on a swimming scholarship, and um, I decided instead of getting a nine a, you know nine to five desk job, I would become a professional triathlete. And when I started looking around and doing my research, I discovered that the number one triathlete on the planet at the time was a six-time winner of the Hawaii Ironman triathlon, a guy named Dave Scott, who was really um, a um, and, and not only an amazing athlete, but also he fueled himself with a plant strong diet. So um, those two things really motivated me to to jump all in whole kale back in, in 1987. So I've been doing this now for a little over 27 years before the before the challenge at the firehouse were the guys giving you a hard time about it. Oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> that's an understatement. It was more <laughs> like. um yeah, I got I got ridiculed and made fun of uh, more than any human being deserves. You know, I, I say that firefighters they are they're amazing. They have huge hearts. I um, it's an amazing brotherhood and sisterhood. Uh, you know, not only in the states but just kind of across all um, all countries. But the one thing that is true of firefighters is they they tell you like they see it. And so these firefighters, I mean, I could not eat one meal, breakfast, lunch, or dinner, without getting some sort of harassment um, from these from these firefighters. So, uh, but you know, I I, I grinned my teeth and, um, or rather, I smiled and I just kind of you know I went along with it. And uh, and then that all changed though in 2003 when I challenged the guys at Fire Station Two. To, to do the 28 day challenge. And that kind of started the, um, 
that was kind of what started to, to the, the cultural flip at, uh, in the Austin Fire Department. Hmm. So when you guys took on this 28-day challenge, was it just like one day we're eating this or everyone else is eating this totally the normal diet and then the next day it's 100% plant-based or plant-strong from, from then for the next 28 days or did you did you ease them into it? No, um, no, we did not um, really ease into it. Um, some of the guys were not as disciplined as the one guy that had the uh, kind of the health issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but so he was, you know, 24 seven, you know, at the fire station at home. He um, he was incredibly compliant. And that's why he got the, the magnificent results. And I, you know, I tell people that if you are compliant, if you follow the, the protocol uh, during the 20 day challenge that we, that we outline where you don't need anything with a face or anything that comes from, comes from a mother. If you uh, stay away from, you know, all the dairy, all the processed refined foods, and you really focus and hone in on the fruits, the vegetables, the whole intact, whole intact grains. If you're going to do breads or pasta, you got to make sure they're 100% whole grain. Um, uh, we're doing, you know, all kinds of beans and legumes and lentils. Uh, we're doing limited amounts of, of nuts and seeds and, and avocados and nuts and nut butters. We're eliminating all the extracted oils because they're just empty calories, the most concentrated source of calories on the planet. If you do those things, and they're not that difficult, if you do those things, you will – uh, create an environment within your own little ecosystem that is your body that will allow you at a cellular and molecular level to get healthy from the inside out with that beautiful and really a sustainable byproduct being uh, weight loss and, and finding your ideal weight and ideal health. So, um, but the 28 days is, is, you know, as Matt, as I'm sure you're aware, it's just a hook. It's a hook to get people to uh, enter. Uh, it's kind of a passageway, a rite of passage even, into this lifestyle. And then the hope is that after the 28 days, they will have their eyes opened forevermore and will never look at food the same way. And uh, it's really it's, – it's an enlightening uh, month. Interesting. I think it's – like I, I tend to tell people to take it on gradually when they're, when they're making any kind of change really. But the other thing I give tell people to do is have some sort of time period where you say I'm going to stick with it for this amount of time because then when you do that you you throw away all the the thoughts of like oh, I can never eat a cheeseburger again or I can never have buffalo wings again and that I, you know those thoughts are are killer for people when they're starting out a diet. Yeah. yeah. Um so so what do you let me let me um so let me let me just make a little argument with you here, right? And I and I don't and I don't think that you know obviously baby steps work for some people, right? And but I like to tell people, you know, give give yourself the opportunity to flourish. And, you know, if somebody if somebody can go take baby steps and get there in two or three or four months, if that works for them, then, you know, fantastic. But my point is that if you want to get trans transformational results, you want to you want to have sweeping changes. And if you do the sweeping changes, you're going to feel so great. You're going to have, you know, you're going to see the, the weight just kind of fall off. You're going to have the increase in energy. You're going to get rid of the acid reflux. Your joints are going to feel better. You're going to be like bursting at the seams and you're, and you're going to say, whoa, this really works. This is insane. This is incredible. I never knew. I, you know, every, I always underestimated 
the power of food. But, you know, if you if you just kind of, you know, take the baby steps and one week you just kind of eliminate all, you know, yogurt and then milk and then steak and kind of like that, it doesn't really work for you. You don't get the amazing results. So anyway, but you're right. There's and that's why that's why I do have the two the two um, kind of. Uh, protocols. I have the fire cadet and the firefighter. The fire cadet is for people that want to take a little slower approach. And then the firefighter is for those that want to just jump in and, and do it, you know, whole kale from the get go. But anyway, I'm sorry. I, I totally cut you off. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's good. I'm, I'm glad to hear that perspective. Absolutely. And I didn't realize you had the two different um, approaches. That's, that's neat. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about the appeal to men. Cause I think that is a really unique thing about engine two. Um, yeah. That that you don't see a lot. I'm like, I I think seventy some percent of the no meat athlete audience is female, and I think that's probably even you know less female than a lot of the other vegan or plant based messages out there. Yeah. Um. So so it is unique, and I think you're very well known. You probably heard people bring it up a billion times. The uh the real men eat plants line from Forks Over Knives, which yeah yeah. Yeah, you know it's it's memorable for sure that that scene. Um, but like you know, my beef with meat, your newest book, the layout is these very short chapters. Yeah. Some of them titled, um, you might just say male friendly names like plants perk up your pecker and poops from heaven, and even the, the word plant strong. I mean, these are terms that aren't the the feminine type of terms that you're used to. Um, yeah. is that all a deliberate thing on your part and? If it is, or even if not, have you noticed that you do have a large number of male followers and that, that men are getting on board with this more than they are with other other plant-based approaches? Well, I can tell you that I never deliberately set out to make this, um, make the the rhetoric for it um, more so that it appealed more to, 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 to men than women. I just think it was kind of just from my my perspective and just being a, being a male, that's kind of how, uh, you know, how I think and how I am, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and since it was hatched, the Engine 2 diet was hatched at a firehouse in Austin, Texas, you know, it is a little bit, a little bit more male-centric. Um, and I have people say that, you know, the, the recipes that you have, whether it's the, the pizza, the burgers, the macaroni and nut cheese, the uh, Matt Moore's enchiladas, you know, the three bean chilies, these are all fantastic foods, right? That stick to your ribs, and you know, you've just learned how to make uh, make healthy eating taste good and, and fill you up and make you feel good. And uh, and I love it when guys say to me, you know what? I thought this would be like all about eating turtle food and rabbit food, and it's not. This is like <laughs> this is like fantastic stuff. So that's you know that's always a a nice added bonus. Um, and have you actually noticed that that it is more men than than women who, or or at least that that you have a really strong uh, male I following? I certainly, I'm certainly able to connect with a lot of men, and I get all kinds of invitations from from firehouses across the uh, the country to to come visit with them and and talk to them and you know come and share a dinner with them. Um, you know. You know the whole thing as far as <clears throat> real plants, real plants, listen to me, real <laughs> men eat plants. But it's because, you know, uh, on so many different levels, I say, listen, guys, you know, 
let's call a spade a spade here. If you're a real, if you're a real man, then you want to be a hero for your health. You want to be a family's for your, you want to be a hero for your family's health. You want to be around, right? To support your children and your wife. You want to be a hero for the environment. And you know what? Real men are also compassionate and they have conviction and they take a stand for something. You know, by you continuing to eat, you know, um, chicken wings and triple cheese pepperoni pizzas and three pound steaks and, you know, nonsense like that. Anybody can eat junky food like that, but it's not doing anything to enhance your health, uh, the, the, the earth's health or be compassionate. And, you know, there's like, there's a guy, one of the strongest men on the planet. His name is Patrick Baboumian and he's from, he's from Germany and he's a psychologist and he says, you know, what is, you know, what's the more manly thing to do? Is it to go up into the tree and rescue the kitten? Or is it to get in the car and drive over the kitten, right? Mm-hmm. And I think we'd all agree it's to go up to, go up into the tree and rescue rescue the kitten. He also says, which, you know, because one of the things we get all the time is, you know, I want to I be big and I want to uh, grow muscles. And how can I do that? Shouldn't I be getting you know, a hundred grams of protein a day and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, listen, all you got to do is you just got to make sure that you're eating enough calories and then you're getting all the protein you need. And, uh, and then you have to, of course, you have to make sure that you're hitting the gym and you're, you're stressing, stressing your muscles and then allowing, allowing them to recover. But so this guy, Patrick Baboumian, he is hundred percent plant-based, um, holds four world records, um, um, and he's in the Guinness Book of World Records for four different four different things. But he says, you know, so many people come up to me and they say, Patrick, you strong like ox. <laughs> and I say, and then he'll reply, yeah. And what does an ox eat, right? And obviously, you know, an ox eats, you know, all kinds of grasses and stuff. And um, and then he follows that up by saying, you know. Most guys think that in order to grow muscles, that you need to eat muscles. And that's about as stupid as as thinking that in order to be smart, you need to eat brains. Um, <laughs> and so it's just it's 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 amazing how um, hoodwink, hoodwinked and bamboozled and uh, and programmed as a society that the men in particular are have um, have fallen into this trap into thinking that, you know, in order to be a true man, we need to eat meat and we need to do eggs and we need to do, you know, chicken or anything with muscle. And it's just, it's absolutely a, a complete, it's a complete 180. Um, so, um, yeah. yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, it absolutely, yeah, you're absolutely right about that. And I like, in your book, I mean, it's just another example of the stuff there's – there was a part um, about calcium and it was like – it was like calcium doesn't come from cows. That That's not – because, you know, everyone says milk is where you get your calcium. And what you said is like that's not where – you know, the cow's not making the calcium. That That's not – it's coming from the plants that the cow's eating. Right. And, I, I, you know, little stuff like that, it, like even me having been a vegan now for, for almost three years and vegetarian for three before that – it, those little statements like that, all the, you know, they they jump out because it's like that. 
that mindset is just it's just ingrained in our brains from from the culture or the advertising or whatever it is that's responsible. Yeah, totally. So, um, really quick before we move on, Rip, you mentioned getting enough calories, and I do want to shift towards um, the athlete thing because I want to hear a little bit more about that. But getting enough calories, I think I'm not going to ask you where you get your protein because I I've been asked that enough, and I know you have too. But you said get enough calories and then you'll get enough protein. For people who are interested in in staying bulked up or getting bulked up, are there certain foods? Because I mean, you're you're a pretty big guy, and I imagine you go to the gym, still keep in shape. Or I know that you still keep in shape. Um, what what are some of the the high calorie foods you're eating? Because a lot of people that's that's going to be oil. You know, they'll say I'll eat the oil or the processed the protein powders and the you know the stuff that's not necessarily good for you. Yeah. Um, what what do you do for high calories? So the issue is is that none of us could really it'd be very hard to, especially as an athlete to subsist exclusively on fruits and vegetables they're they're really not um, they don't have enough calorie density um, now you know I, I do know of some fruititarians that that are eating 30 to 50 bananas a day mm-hmm. but you know, I, I think that there's there's probably a smarter way, and that is why fruits and vegetables are fantastic. And I'm going to kind of go off course a little bit here from your question, but I'll get back to it. Um, but as athletes, you know, we we build up so much um, oxidative stress and free radicals, and so we want to we want to mitigate that as much as possible. And the best way to do that is by consuming a a plant strong diet where you are getting an abundance of um, kind of uh, anti-inflammatory alkaline um, foods that are teeming with phyto, phytonutrients, antioxidants, and and tons and tons of, um, or I shouldn't say tons, all of the, the vitamins and the minerals that you can get from food. And when you do this, as an athlete, it's going to allow you to have a much stronger immune system. It will enhance your recovery. And ultimately... All of these things will allow you to perform better when it when it matters most. Now that being said, you also have to base a fair amount of your your food intake on the the starchy the starchy <clears throat> sorry the starchy plant based foods. And what I'm talking about here are the the beans, the rice, the potatoes, um, you know, the, the lentils, um, the split peas. Uh, the the intact the intact whole grains the um, you know the steel cut oatmeal the oatmeal these things they all are anywhere between on the low end probably ten percent of their calories coming from protein on the high end you have soybeans that are right around forty percent of their calories coming from protein and um, you know the big misconception here is that you know you, you need more protein and the reality is is that we only need Right around somewhere between 10 to 15 percent of our calories coming from protein, because any any more than that, you just kind of you you take the excessive amounts uh, and you store them as fat, or you you pee it away in your urine. So all these muscle muscle milk, you know, protein shakes, the protein powders, the uh, the chicken breasts, um, it's really for naught. And I, I like to say that the leanest piece of of protein that's out there comes from your plant-based sources where you're getting plant-friendly protein as opposed to problematic protein, where you're getting um, 
healthy fats as opposed to saturated fat and even some trans fats in, in animal products. And you're also getting um, complex carbohydrates, which, as you know, Matt, is our, our body's preferred energy uh, source. So uh, the plants, they got, they got everything, and they're also the leanest source of protein. And, you know, you look at a, um, a piece of chicken, for example, and what do you have? You basically have two things. You have protein, uh, probably somewhere right around 25 to 35% of the, of, of, of the chicken is coming from protein. And then the remainder is really fat, and, and 20% of it is coming from saturated fat. So um, that's what you have. And then, of course, you, have, uh, you don't have any fiber. You don't have nearly as much water as you do in these, these other plant-based sources. And, uh, and you don't have nearly the same, the same variety and, 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 um, and, and matrix of, of vitamins and minerals that you have in plant-based sources. So it's really, I, I tell true athletes uh, that are concerned about what they're putting in their mouth, that um, a plant-based diet is so much more superior to, a, um, to an animal to an animal-based based diet. Um, anyway, I, I've kind of been rambling for a while here, so you, I'll stop, and then you tell me if you want me to take this in any direction. <laughs> no, sir, I mean, that's great. I'm, I like listening to you ramble. Um, it's, I, I totally agree with what you said earlier, a question back now, um, you yeah. know, about, about the, the phytonutrients and the things that fruits and vegetables, for the most part, give you that, that you're just not going to get when you're on the diet that a lot of athletes eat. And this is what I was eating before I went vegetarian. And I think why I noticed such major difference when I did, Yeah. Um, you know, I was eating brown rice and chicken breast all the time. Like that was my, my go-to meal. And I would dress it up with different sauces or seasonings or whatever. And then when I went vegetarian, I didn't feel like I was necessarily eating that much healthier because I was still eating lots of cheese and stuff. And it was, you know, it was by no means a healthy diet at that point, but I added so many different fruits and vegetables into my diet that I had not been eating before and recovered better than I ever had for that entire summer. And then that's the summer that I qualified for Boston. I don't, I don't know if you know the story. Actually, you might, you were at the, uh, I do. the Whole Foods I do. Austin talk, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I really do credit that as the big thing. It's not that like, I don't, I don't tell people that, that the meat was just slowing me down. It was that the meat wasn't plants and it w- didn't have this great stuff in it. So once I added that stuff into my diet, everything changed. Um, so I, total agreement there. And I love that you, talk so much it sounds like you think in terms of percentages like how what percentage of the calories come from protein versus fat versus carbohydrate because that shift is one that i've made too and i i think it just to me that's so much easier than saying i have to get 80 grams of protein a day or whatever the number is and just saying i'm going to choose foods that for the most part are in that 10 to 15 percent protein range and all of a sudden you realize that so many foods that you've never considered protein foods um, my favorite example being just whole wheat pasta yeah. are, are right in that range, even at the upper end of it. And it's not really hard to get your protein when you just well, think about me, it that way. Let me stop you for a sec because, um, I actually, you know, I, I said, I said that about, you know, 10 to 15% of your calories coming from protein. But the reality is I have never, ever once counted how many grams of protein I'm consuming in a day. Um, actually that's not true. I did it once just like because so many people were curious and I and I figured out that just my the rips big bowl in the morning right um, if you follow the recipe from the answer to diet book with the um, if you're using soy milk if you're doing um, a small handful of walnuts a banana um, 
and all the, the all the grains and everything, you're getting almost 40 grams of protein just in your breakfast cereal in the morning. Mm. So it's it's just such a, a, a mute point. But but where I'm going with this, Matt, is I, that I don't. I tell people don't worry about getting enough protein. Don't worry about getting enough fat. Don't worry about getting you know enough you know car- complex carbs. As long as you are eating this way and your weight is where it should be, and you're not losing too much weight, know that you're getting all the protein you need, all the healthy fats, all the, all the carbohydrates, phytonutrients, antioxidants, you know, all that stuff. Um, and that's really the most important thing. And in order to – but here's the point I wanted to make and, and where I'm going with this is that one of the main issues that I hear, and I'm sure you hear it too, when people switch to an all-plant-based diet is that all of a sudden within about two weeks – they don't have the same energy levels that they had. Mm-hmm. And I tell people that that is because you're probably not consuming uh, enough calories. So in order to – when you start eating this way, you're eating the same volume of food, but you're eating about probably 30% less calories. So you really have to bump up the volume of food you intake you're eating by almost 30%. And again, I, I say let your weight be your guide if you're – consuming enough uh, enough food and calories but um, that to me is always the culprit when people say wow I just I'm feeling a little lethargic I'm feeling a little weak and I'm like well you got two things going on there one is you're probably doing a little bit of detox detoxing and getting used to these new foods and the other one is you're probably losing too much weight too rapidly and you're not consuming enough food so you need to be eating like another cup of that breakfast cereal you need to be doing another helping of uh, of dinner, you need to be doing a bigger salad. You need to be um, doing three sweet potatoes instead of just one sweet potato, uh, right? So yep. stuff like stuff like that. Yeah, and this is the same conversation I've had with people many many times. Yeah. And the flip side of it is that people also the other common complaint I hear is that when I eat plant based, I'm hungry all throughout the day. So the answer for me is just then eat more frequently throughout the day because you know you're going to digest these foods faster. They don't they're not as much calories per volume in your stomach, so you'll feel full, but then they will digest quicker. Yeah. So, you know, I just have to eat more often and and yeah, exactly. People who who have say they have lost energy, by and large to me it seems like it's just a reduction in calories because when you get the meat and the dairy out of your diet, I mean those are your huge sources of calories that are that are gone and you need to replace them. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So do you want? Why don't we uh, switch gears a little bit and and talk about your your history with triathlon? So you mentioned that um, you part of the reason why you went plant strong or plant based to begin with was um, you know when you switched to become a pro triathlete. So can you tell us a little bit about you know what it was like to do that uh, back in the eighties and and then about your career as a pro triathlete? Yeah. So um, so I started. And I went to go see one of my best friends um, do a triathlon in Canton, Ohio, in the summer of 1986. And he asked me if I would be his support crew. And I had never even heard of a triathlon. I didn't even know what a, tri- a triathlon was. <laughs> but I was like, sure, I'd love to go with you. And so I went and I, you know, I helped him in the um, transition area. I set up, you know, his bike and his shoes and everything that you do. And, and then I went and I, and I watched, I watched the swim and I, and I watched him come out of the water second. He was, he and I used to swim together a a whole bunch 
Um, and then I saw him kind of get crushed on the bike. And then I saw this amazingly fit guy cross the finish line like 10 minutes before anyone else. And his name was Scott Tinley. And for those of you that don't know who Scott Tinley was, he was one of the big four. You had, you had Dave Scott, Scott Molina, uh, Mark Allen, and Scott Tinley. And these guys kind of were like the four horsemen, the, the four top triathletes in the world for almost, uh, for almost probably a decade. And I remember seeing this guy cross the finish line and thinking, wow, you know what? This is one fit badass. And, um, and that's when I decided, you know what? I like this sport. And, um, I like the fact that, you know, you, if you work hard, if you do your due diligence, um, you can cross that finish line first. And I've always been drawn to athletics because it's pretty much black and white. And there's not a lot of, you know, politicking and brown nosing and stuff like that. <laughs> so uh, that's really after I saw that race is when I decided that I would become a, a pro professional triathlete when I graduated. And so I graduated um, in December of 1986. I came home for about three to four months as I was actually interviewing for, for other jobs. And that's when I decided I, I, I can't go to work um, doing, a, doing a nine to five you know, desk job. I feel like I'm going to die a slow death. And so I was training in Cleveland in the wintertime. It would be snowing out and I'd be out on my bike. You know, it would be 10 degrees. But when you're young and hungry, you'll do whatever it takes. Right. And I did my first race in 1987. And um, it was the, the the Miami United States Triathlon Series the triathlon. It was a Bud Light. Uh, it was an international distance. So it was a mile swim, 24.8 mile bike, and then a 10K run. I was so psyched. I got uh, little Speedo signs kind of seared into the side of both my heads with a haircut. <laughs> and I came out of the water first in my age group. Came off the bike second, and then I came in eighth in my age group. And I was like, whoa. It was like a rude awakening. I, I got off the bike, and I could not believe how wobbly my legs felt. <laughs> um, and, now, and, and that's when I finally understood when they call it like a brick, meaning after you come off the bike and you immediately start running, your legs feel like bricks. And man, oh, man, I ran a 42, 10K, and... Oh, it was so painful. And I was like, wow, I don't know if I can do this sport. It's too hard. <laughs> and, um, but you know how it is. You get over it pretty quickly. And I went back to the drawing board and I kept training and racing. And I was able to qualify. I was able to get um, three top 10 finishes at USTS, United States Triathlon Series um, triathlons. And, and then I was able to apply to be a pro. And so my last two races, I raced as a pro. And the last race I did in 1987 was the Chicago International Triathlon. And there were 4,000 competitors. And I ended up coming in ninth place overall out of 4,000. And I won $600 in prize money. <laughs> and I remember calling my parents and saying, Mommy and Daddy, I am officially a pro triathlete. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. 
And and then I went on, and so that was my first year. And then I was I was fortunate in that you know I had this amazing uh, swimming background, and I was I became one of the premier swimmers in the sport. Uh, I was able to get a lot of great sponsorships. I became one of the top ten triathletes at the Olympic distance in the uh, in the United States, um, and uh, I parlayed that into a. A ten-year career, gallivanting all over the uh, the globe, swimming, biking, and running, uh, racing for prize money. I was fortunate enough in that I was also able to get um, appearance fees, and I also did some clinics. But I was able to make a a decent living for a decade uh, as a pro triathlete, and I was, you know, one of the only ones that I knew that was eating a exclusively plant-based diet to to give me the edge and a leg up as a, uh, as a, as a triathlete, but it was, you know, it was a, it was an absolute, absolute blast. And, um, it really taught me so much about work ethic and, uh, you know, you, you, you reap what you sow. And I made so many great, great friends over that 10 years as well. Um, so I, anyway, I'll stop for a second, let you ask a question if you want. Yeah. I mean, that's incredible. I want to know about the diet. Like, were you, when you decided I want to be a pro triathlete, you mentioned before that's that's about when you also decided you were going to start eating a plant based diet. Did you have any thoughts of like, you know, I, Dave Scott is doing this, but I don't know anyone else doing it. Like this, this might be the thing that's going to prevent this whole dream from happening. Or, or were you just like, you know, my dad does this, Dave Scott does this, it's going to work. Yeah, you know, I um no I I um. I guess I just I never I never for a sec doubted that that this way of eating would somehow uh, be inferior. I always thought of it as, thought of it as being um, superior. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I did discover <laughs> along the way was that I needed to make sure I didn't lose too much weight because when you're training three to six hours a day, you are burning you know mega calories. And so I mean, you should see the the quantities of food that I would eat just to kind of make sure that my weight was right around 165 pounds. And when I knew that when I got down to about 162 pounds, 159, that I was not, I was not eating enough. Um, but you know, for the most part, I loved racing at between 165 and 168 pounds. That was kind of my ideal weight. Um, but no, I, I just, for, for a decade, I, um, I just kept eating, um, you know, the steel cut oatmeal, the Rips Big Bowl in the morning, um, the whole grain, spelt blueberry pancakes, lasagnas, casseroles, um, all kinds of pasta dishes, um, you know, beans, beans, and then more beans, um, you know, just about all the all the all the recipes in, in the first engine two diet book were kind of became became mainstays um the one thing that i did not i will tell you that i did not really eat enough of which looking back on it i would have eaten a lot more of were just the green the green leafy cruciferous vegetables Mm -hmm. that are just packed with so many fantastic you know phytonutrients and antioxidants and vitamins and minerals um i i just i never i didn't gravitate towards those like i should have so that if there was a change that I would make going back in my career, it would be to have those make up a, a larger proportion of of uh, of the food that I I put in my mouth. 
Uh, and probably not so many um, bagels and so much so much of the, the breads. Although, you know, when you're training that much, you need to be taking in stuff that's a little more calorie-dense. And the more calorie-dense foods are going to be the the breads, they're going to be the dried fruits, they're going to be the, um, the the avocados and the olives and and the nuts and the nut butters. But I tell I tell people across all walks of life, depending upon what your goals are, you need to be you need to be careful uh, eating those calorie dense foods. It's just it's really easy to just substitute those plant fats for for animal fats, and uh, and now you're not going to lose the weight. But as athletes, you know we we. We have a little bit of, of wiggle room there, um, for sure. I also, you know, I I, I I never drank too many of my calories. I know a lot, I know a lot of athletes that are, are drinking a lot of smoothies and juicing and stuff, and I never did a lot of that when I was training for the Ironman. I only did the Ironman twice, and when I was training for those events, like after the hundred and a hundred mile ride and a ten mile run kind of your, your stomach's a little bit jacked up and you want to replace glycogen stores. And so that's when I would, you know, I would, I would pound a, a smoothie or some sort of a, a shake. But, um, I always, I tell people that you're always much better off chewing your calories rather than, rather than drinking them. Yeah. Yeah. It's I think, good. Well, we, I'd love to get back to that, but, um, I was just going to say that I think it's so fascinating that, uh, that you were out there, you know, not even second guessing it at all. Back, you know, back before. Nowadays, we hear some of so many elite athletes, especially in the endurance world, that are plant based. Um, you know, and there's still so many other people, you know, doubting it. Uh, you know, doubting if you can get enough protein or enough calories or whatever. And here you were, you know, 30 years ago doing it, and not even second guessing it. I just think I love that story. I think it's really cool. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks. Yeah. I. Um, you know, it's funny. I've always had so much. Um, put so much faith in my father and trusted his opinion on things. And I guess I just, you know, I think you maybe said it earlier, um, Matt, but yeah, it's, it's amazing how just with my father's research and what he'd accomplished in, in three years. And in, in addition to what, you know, Dean Ornish's research going back to 1981, showing that he could reverse heart disease in the, in, in 82% of his patients. I mean, that's pretty amazing odds, 82%. But um, and then and then finding out about Dave Scott, um, that was like those were the the two big nails that that closed the coffin for me, and I was like, okay, I'm in. Yeah, way ahead of the curve. <laughs> yeah. So I, it's cool to me that um, that Engine Two. I mean, that you mentioned that a lot of the stuff in the original Engine Two cookbook is is the stuff you were eating as a pro triathlete. Yeah, because, because I think I think your athletic background gets overshadowed by the firehouse thing and the lose weight to you know to, for health and heart health especially. Um, but I don't think too many athletes who who want to be plant based can say you know or, or say, generally say this is a book that that works perfectly well for fueling athletes. So that's that's a pretty cool little nugget there. That is maybe I should I should um, I should you know bring it re re rebrand it as you know the. Um... The Engine 2 No-Meat Athlete uh, Diet. There you go. Yeah, just republish the exact same book, pay me a 50% fee for the name, and then we've set. Woo! All right. Uh, so, all right. So on the topic of books, Rip, why uh, why the new book? What's um, what's, what do you want to do with that one that, that you didn't with the original? You know, when, when you 
you've seen the original have such lasting success already. Yeah. Well, the thought with the second book was um, was really twofold. Um, one was we wanted to create more recipes for people. People were clamoring for more recipes. And so, unfortunately, a lot of people don't realize that that the second book, My Beef With Meat, is also a recipe book. It's got over 140 new recipes, right? Yep. And then, and then the second um, kind of as a companion book to Engine Two, because you know Engine Two is basically broken up into two parts. The first part is the the polemic, and then the second part is are, are the recipes. And so it's the same with my beef with meat. We thought we kind of follow that same template. And so the first part, what I do is I address all the all the myths and the misconceptions that are swirling out there around eating a plant-based diet. And I, and I, and I have one short little chapter on it in, in the engine two diet, but I wanted to go deeper into those, those myths and misconceptions. And so that's exactly, you know, what I did. And there's 35 chapters and each one, um, basically turns these myths upside down. Like, you know, you know, the whole protein thing and, you know, um, how plants are iron strong, how plants are bone strong, um, the problem with paleo, as I'm sure you're aware, aware, you know, everybody is, it's amazing how many athletes and, uh, and CrossFitters out there think that, you know, paleo hung the moon. So, uh, you know, kind of it's paleo. It seems like it's paleo versus plantio right now. It does. Uh, yeah. But, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, you can't eat this way and it can't be tasty that you can't eat this way without having it cost, cost an arm and a leg, which is a total, total farce. You know, I bust the Mediterranean diet, uh, whole myth w- wide open. The same thing with real men. You know, I, the, the whole moderation mentality is, has always bothered me. So I address that. I also address some things that, um, that the longer I've been eating this way, Matt, the more I realize that, um, that this way of eating is so impactful, you know, for example, with the environment and how eating this way is the number one thing that any of us can do if we are a true um, environmentalist and conservationist. Um, you know, the latest the latest figures that have come out from the World World Watch Institute show that 51, and in this book I wrote that it was 18, but these latest figures show that 51 percent of global greenhouse gas emissions are caused by animal agriculture due to the animal supply chain and the animal life cycle. That to me is, is mind blowing. So the number one thing that any of us can do starting tomorrow, is not to drive a Prius. It's not to, you know, commute. It's not to ride your bike. It's not to go nuclear or go solar, go solar. It is man, you know, with your purchasing dollars, start going to a plant-centric diet instead of an animal-centric diet. And that, to me, is really empowering and enlightening to think that we can we can have an impact, each and every one of us, a very strong impact as far as, you know, where we are taking climate change starting, you know, tomorrow. So that's, that's cool. But, you know, I, I'm kind of going on here, but um, the fact that it's never too late to start eating this way. It's never too early to eat this way. You know, I'm not a big fan of supplements, um, Matt, and I think that way too many people are spending way too much money on all these 
supplements, which really, whether it's calcium, antioxidants, vitamin E, actually have been shown to do more, more harm than benefit when they're take it, taken in an isolated form. Um, you know, I talk about oil and why oil is the new snake oil, right? Um, mm-hmm. I, I kind of, I kind of go in and I bash uh, fish oil, right? And all the people that think they need to get their omega-3 fatty acids from fish oil supplements and how the majority of those fish oil supplements come from Manhattan, which is a, um, a filter feeder fish. It's really responsible for the whole food chain in the Atlantic Ocean. And how they're going the way of the dodo bird thanks to their usefulness in fertilizers and lipsticks and uh, paints. And then, of course, even uh, health supplements. And as soon as that oil is taken from the fish, it starts to oxidize. It starts to go rancid. And the reality is is that fish oil supplements, these omega-3 supplements, um, have been shown to actually increase your LDL cholesterol. If you're susceptible to it, it can increase your chance of a hemorrhagic stroke, and also it, um, it is also um, helps lay the foundation for um, insulin resistance, which, you know, is related to um, prediabetes and type 2 diabetes. So go, anyway, that's just kind of a rough, rough, rough overview of some of the things that I get into uh, in my beef with meat. Cool. And, and for those who haven't seen it or leafed through it, I mean, it's uh, it's – the the text part is only 130 pages or so before it gets to the recipes, and that's divided, as you said, among 30-some chapters. So they're short little bits that you can read one in one sitting very easily and uh, you know very approachable, easy book. So um, highly recommended. And I wanted to ask you about it before we let you go. Yeah. I may be putting you on the spot here, but in, in one of the, the pizza recipe at the end, you mentioned the Asheville pizza. And it's it's by Jane Edelson. Is that your daughter? <laughs> no, you know what? Uh, that is my sister. Oh, okay. Yeah, my um, my sister championed the whole um, recipe section for this book. So she kind of we sifted through, God, something like four hundred different recipes, and then she took the the top two hundred made them all, tested them again and again and again. And actually, she was responsible for probably a good 40 of the recipes. Um, but no, Jane is my sister, and she did an amazing job putting the whole recipe section together. Okay, yeah. So I'm guessing you don't know then why it's called the Asheville Pizza, right? Do you? Oh, the Asheville Pizza. Yeah, because yeah. that's where I'm from. That's where I live, and Doug's moving here soon. And it's a great, great plant-based town, eco-friendly place. Um, no, I do. I do. It's, do because, it's because my sister lived in Asheville for a little over a year and a half. Okay. Yeah. And so she, she named that pizza because I think uh, she loved Asheville so much. <laughs> there you go. It's a good place to live. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, Rip, um, that's about it. We haven't yet gotten into any of the um, the Engine 2 foods and Whole Foods. I think we should at least mention that for people who, who I mean, who have somehow avoided seeing that, which I think is tough if you go to Whole Foods because they're everywhere. Um, what, what, what's in them? I mean, uh, is that, that's just the engine two philosophy into, into ready-made foods? Is that the idea? Yeah, exactly right, Matt. So, um, we have a philosophy that with the food line that everything, no animal products, everything has to be hundred percent plant-based. Um, if we do, if there's any grains in the product, it has to be a hundred percent 
whole grain. Um, we also have no extracted oils in any of the products. So none of the products like the hummuses, for example, or our, uh, or our, our wraps, our tortillas, none of those will have soybean oil, canola oil, olive oil, any extracted oil. And then also we are also either no added sugars or if we had any sugar, if we have any sugar, it's very, very low. And then, um, all of our products are also low in sodium. So I think you'll find, for example, with the, um, with the almond milks, for example, we're, we have 30% less sodium than the, uh, than the national brand equivalents. Hmm. Um, but you know, we, right now we have, we have, we're in seven different categories. We have what's called 21 different SKUs. So just to let you know what that means is, um, cereals. We have three SKUs of cereals. So we've got the triple berry, the Rips Big Bowl Triple Berry, we have the Rips Big Bowl Banana Walnut, and we have the Rips Big Bowl Original with the raisins. And then we have crisp bread crackers. We have three uh, three of those that are all um, really hearty and healthy. We have the two tortillas. We have four burgers. And unlike most of the burgers that are out there on the shelves that contain soy protein isolates and concentrates uh, and are teeming with with sodium and sugar and oil, um, all of our plant-based burgers um, have basically just whole ingredients that you that you know what they are. So it has like black beans and brown rice and oats and tomatoes and spices uh, and carrots and parsnips. So it's really simple stuff. And we have four varieties. We have a poblano black bean. We have a Thai basil edamame. We have a curried lentil. And then lastly, we have a white bean and Tuscan kale. So a lot of cool stuff. We also have four frozen grain medley blends um, that are out there that, that can you can heat up in three or four minutes, and they make a great side or, or even a, a, whole, a whole meal. And we will be coming out with probably somewhere between 10 to 20 new products every year. And the hope is that at the, in the end of uh, – over the uh, course of the next – Probably by 2020, we have several hundred products available for people to help make this lifestyle um, easier and more convenient. So Whole Foods just it becomes Engine Two Foods, and that's it, right? No, they crowd everything else out. Exactly. <laughs> Perfect. World <laughs> domination. Yeah. All yeah. right. Awesome. Well, Rip, we appreciate it. Um, thank you very much for your time. We've mentioned where people can find yourself. I mean, Whole Foods. Obviously, there's you know the Engine Two Foods are everywhere there. And your books are both there. Where else, though, should people find you? Like online, engine2diet.com? Yeah, you know what? We have so many different ways that people can stay in touch with us, whether it's engine2diet.com, whether it's engine2diet Facebook, whether it is engine2diet uh, Pinterest, engine2diet Instagram, Twitter. We also have our, our online subscription-based community called Engine2Extra. Um, we also have our Engine2 retreats, our weekend retreats. Um, you can go to Engine 2 Retreats if you want to come to a, um, a Friday, Saturday, Sunday weekend retreat and just immerse yourself in this lifestyle with some of the best and brightest in the business, including um, my father, Colin Campbell, Neil Barnard, uh, myself, and a bunch of other great chefs and dietitians and nutritionists and, 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 and amazing motivational speakers and success stories. So, um, yeah. Matt, I just want to give a shout out to you and everything you're doing. And 
how great it is to um, have a, another kindred spirit as we um, continue to get this message out to as many people as possible. So thank you. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate Rip, and of course we all love what you're doing. So um, thank you for your time. We appreciate it, and we'll uh, talk to you soon. All right. Bye, man. All right. Bye. Fun, Rip. Thanks.